Okay, cool. So just to give a quick little intro. Yeah. Um, to my starting to my right, we have Wesley Osbrook. Um, she. I'm trying. I wrote little notes. I, although I know these things. Oh I know. Okay. So Wesley. Wesley has her hands in a lot of different pots. She editorial work. I would say sci-fi, fantasy, book covers. She writes her own stories, her own graphic novels. She draws everything. Um, she's she's a very she's in a lot of different places. I would say. Is that a good way to describe you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, to her right is Shadra Strickland, uh, children's book illustrator and writer extraordinaire. Um, Shadra is also a teacher, uh, so that may come into play in some of those things we talk about. Um, but yes. Uh, well recognized and, and probably well awarded as well for uh, your your thick body of work. So, okay, and then uh, a few awards. So to hit her right, we have uh, Chris Kindred. Um, I would let's see, uh, comics, comic covers, editorial work, uh, illustrated journalism in some some way you would describe it, which that will definitely come up. Um, hailing from Virginia, Richmond, right? That's where, okay. Um, to the right, we have Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. Um, I would say, like, storyboarding, big co uh, com into the comic industry, uh, actually took time away from New York Comic Con to be here with us. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> yes, local, local New Yorker for now. Like, have you been here probably like uh, 10 years? Originally from Puerto Rico. Okay. All right. So, 10 years here, originally from Puerto Rico. I don't know. If, were you able to hear him when he said that? I'm sorry. Were you able to hear him when? No, so we okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I want you just grab those and kind of yeah. All right. So then Jensen Ekwall, is it Wall or Well? I, yeah, no, yeah, you okay. It. Perfect. <laughs> I get real nervous with names. I'll never forget all your faces, but I'll never remember anybody's name. Okay. So anyway, Jensen Ekwall, um, uh, illustrator, children, children's books, yeah. children's story, graphic yes. novels, uh, editorial work. You know the the gamut. I guess everybody's pretty much the gamut. I'd say. Um, yeah, we have Richie Pope. Say what's up. Hey, what's up? All right, we got Richie Pope in the house. The uh, let's see, editorial, so on and so forth. Sci-fi, fantasy, comics. You write your own comics too. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and I don't know, maybe storyboarding or something in there. Yeah, okay. some visual development. Okay, like very cool. Um, and then we have Alex Beges. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Perfect. Alex, uh, big in the comics world. I believe I was just uh, reading up. You started your own comics collective. Is that correct? Yeah, Three Arm Squid. It just resulted from my friends and I tabling at Mocha, and we're like, oh, we should put a book together and make our own stuff. Okay. So. Perfect. Um, and actually, great, like, this brings into play another thing. You are actually are in school now. You're in yes. the MFA program at SVA. Um, what's the official title of it? Uh, MFA Visual Narrative. MFA Visual Narrative. Okay, cool. So that's a great perspective to have if we uh, start touching upon the idea of schooling and all that stuff. So, um, all right. So that's everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, just to give a little bit of perspective of kind of the starting point of all this and then we'll jump in um, amongst many other things uh, a big inspiration for the talk came from uh, watching I'm gonna get the name probably wrong Chimamanda no, Chimamanda Adichie's uh, TED talk where she speaks about the, the idea of the singular story and the dangers of the singular story um, the singular story, the idea being that if you depict uh, a, a, a certain people the same way over and over again in one fashion and you only present that story, 
despite how false and how um, inappropriate that may be, it, it eventually that, that people becomes that story, and then that is what we're that's what we're consuming, and that's all we know. When really, we all know the world is made up of many diverse stories, overlapping, um, singular is not really come into play. So. Um, it got me thinking about illustration and illustrator's role in that, uh, the singular story, because in a lot of ways, as illustrators, we are part of the media, if you like to think of it that way, uh, and the media is who pushes these stories. Um, and I, obviously this goes without saying, but obviously the singular story is the most dangerous for marginalized groups in the world. Okay, so, kind of jump off here. What is the illustrator's role and the responsibility when it comes to the singular story and, you know, being a player in that? If you guys don't, everybody, whoever wants to, whoever wants to speak, please start. Oh yeah, I just um, was thinking, I just read an article like, this, this morning about, um, about uh, Hermione in Harry Potter and how she was portrayed in the films and the illustrations where it was it's it was made to be assumed that she's white even though she's only really described as having like curly hair and buck teeth and it just really got me thinking about when i was reading children's and ya books as a young person i know that's like a really pivotal experience for a lot of people um, and like you imagine in your head what the character looks like you have all these ideas of what the character is and then when you see the illustration that is like the definitive version of that character and you don't really ever get it out of your head so what the image is makes it real and yeah like we make the images that become real solid portrayals in people's heads but I think it's um, it can be difficult um, to have race be a thing that's um, incidental because I don't know I, I remember um, actually Lily worked on this book and a lot more um, but uh, you remember uh, you remember working on the uh, um, what's her name Michelle Quince book about the kids at sea and this is a book that um, is sort of like. It, it seems to have been written from the perspective of being very healthful for children, and it self-consciously depicts sort of people from many different backgrounds um, with many different issues that they're kind of dealing with. I mean, one of the kids lives in a, a group home, and um, at the same time, that feels sort of very that feels very healthy, and it's it can be uncomfortable. Uh, I think speaking to your art director about sort of. Okay, so this character is black. Describe to me exactly what you want this black character to look like. Um, or I get feedback about, like, don't draw that Asian girl that way. Or, um, I don't know, I think that um, even when you, when you get into a place of healthfully depicting a well-rounded uh, set of characters, there's a bit of discomfort um, in communication in terms of depiction. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a white person, and uh, the way that I draw involves a kind of a lot of sort of like kinetic exaggeration, and it's often described as emotional. And uh, I don't know, like, it can, be, it can be hard to take direction about depicting race specifically. And I was hoping that kind of other people could speak a little bit more about how they do that, how they deal with that with their art directors. Um, anybody? Yeah, it's not specifically an art direction related story, but I had a, a comic that I did for uh, was it the response that was on with Chris, and it was a comic about the Confederate flag, and the concept was that 
uh, it opened up with this like supposed to be like a black person, and it was gonna slowly zoom out, and the uh, the text was kind of like he was talking to his white friend who was supportive of the flag, and he was like you know saying all the, the trolls were like oh you know it's about this and not about it's about heritage you know, and you're just not seeing the bigger picture, and by the time it zooms out. It's shown that he was just like minimized in his like eye, <laughs> and there's just like this giant figure. And so I drew it, and I was like, put it out there, and then people were like, oh, did you uh, do you support the Confederate flag? I was like, wait, what? what? Like, like I have a whole thing behind. Like, you can read Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like all the other stuff I've talked about before, but um, because they people were like, oh, yeah, I read that black character is a, just like a white guy, and because I guess I did, and I was thinking like, that's so interesting. Like, people want to be apologized because they thought I supported something because they misread a black character is not black. Right. So then it, it bothered me. I was like, so how black was I supposed to make that character so that they would have got that he was black, you know? Yeah, how black is a great question. Yeah. <laughs> or how white. I did um, a book called White Water about segregation in the 1960s and this young boy who wanted to, was fascinated with the idea of white water and what that tasted like. And when I portrayed the white characters, I made the mother like a redhead, brunettish, and she had freckles. And this is rural South, so she was a bit tanned and all these things. And when I turned in the art, the art director was like, can you make the white characters a little whiter? <laughs> What does that mean? Can, maybe she's blonde and you know her skin isn't so dark and we really want to make the distinction between race in this book because it was about civil rights and difference. Um, and in that case, I was like, I'll concede, yeah, that, makes, that makes sense to me, but it made me question my ability to portray other ethnicities and like, well, what's white enough? What's black enough? You know, like what, what are we doing here? Um, so yeah, it, it does become tricky. Um, and then another another book project was with a very famous um, author. And the story was about a young girl who uh, discovered reading and her love of books and banished all her fears through that. And I thought, oh great, I can finally make a story about a little black girl who goes to the library and this is gonna be awesome. It's not slavery, it's not civil rights, it's just a kid and their books. And the author um, came back and was like, does she have to be black? <gasps> <laughs> well, why, why would, why wouldn't she be black? You know, um, and we're in this whole like we need diverse books movement in the publishing industry. So there's a lot of talk about diversity and personal responsibility. And with this author, um, her other picture books were about black families. So I was like, well, it, it goes both ways, you know. So I made the character um, sort of a combination between me and one of my best friends. She was our love child, and that then made that character real for me because otherwise. <laughs> There is an issue of authenticity. Do you all get that as well when you're when you're thinking yeah. about other characters? Sometimes I feel like I'm sometimes I feel like I'm at risk of sort of this kind of issue of tokenism, right. and you know, like I I don't like the question of why is this uh, why is this character um, black? Uh, why is this why is this guy black? I mean, I remember doing a piece with uh, about like sort of healthful school lunches and how Cisco supplies everything in the Times. And it was uh, like two, a, a young woman and a young man in the Garden of Eden and um, they're sort of sharing a lunch tray mm. and uh, the dude is black. And then I get I get this sort of backlash from a, um, a sort of conservative religious blog about, um, about the black guy uh, being actually uh, Puck and the devil. Um, <laughs> Don't read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went down that hole for a little bit, but I felt like um, 
I don't know. Like, I felt bad about both of these people sort of being white. And I felt like, you know, like race is, race is never incidental, especially when you're working editorially and it adds extra meaning. And, you know, like I think that it was even important to my art director at the time to include a character, uh, include, an, include an image of a figure that, uh, you know, like that was another race. And I was like, well, why, why are you asking me to do that? And why is this a choice that I would make or would not make? And you know, um, I, I have a really hard time with that. Anybody else? Uh, well, his, uh, no, no, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, historically speaking, um, and I'm not sure if this Yeah. We on? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> so yeah, uh, historically speaking, um, I'm not sure if this is gonna be a total tangent, but uh, looking at the works of, say, Leyendecker, um, or early lifestyle illustration where uh, black people are depicted as mammies or uh, butlers, the help, basically in these subservient, uh, almost non-person roles. And um, yeah, I think that, that crafts that, that story. And I, I wanna say that um, that feeds into why people would want to uh, specifically uh, put that out in their directions to make that change. Maybe they're aware of that. I'm, I'm not sure what the case was in the art director in particular, but um, I do see the importance of that given the historical context. Yeah, uh, yeah the takeaway should be don't read the comments, but, uh, <laughs> but also, yeah, like, I always find that when people say, um, like, why is that character black? Or why is that character this? It, more, it feels more so like, why does this person exist here? Like, I'm used to this person being this. Why? Is, how could this person be this? You know. Like that's how you hear. It. Like they say. Yeah. It, but that's what. It, okay. Yeah. And um, even just the way you like when Shahid was talking about the book, like even if you're depicting something where like race has to be really clear, it's like even even then it's like you're wondering like if is this supposed to show like uh, you know a story about race racism between like maybe these two groups? What if this uh, you know what if this black guys or a black woman's light skin? You know. Then it's like someone might not read them as light-skinned, maybe they think they're, you know, some other ethnicity. And so then it's like, you even have to like, there's a, I don't know, I feel like there's a weird pressure to people to even depict people like uh, adversarial in a certain way, like visually. Yeah, it's like um, when uh, you see like on a lot of video games and stuff, uh, like usually it's really messed up, but that you see that a lot of the, the evil characters always tend to be like darkest skin colored and stuff like that and you're like how, how does yeah and you're like how did when and what point in the process where they nobody noticed that that like hey all our villains are like dark-skinned and uh, so um so it's like uh, I don't know how you if you guys ever um, when you guys get scripts or stuff like that because uh, I usually find myself trying to change characters to either be like female characters or like uh, people of color, um, do you guys ever uh, get uh, any uh, backlash from that or stuff like that when you do that? Yeah, I, I told a story last night um, about how I did a book cover for a set set in a, in a fictional, like, retro future fake World War II. It's a, it, was a, it was a fake country in a totally fictional, uh, historically influenced universe, and I made and, and the and the two characters were one had blonde hair and then one had dark hair, and then I made um, the one with the dark hair look um, like my friend who's Southeast Asian, and uh, they came back and they actually edited it for me. They said like they're supposed to be European, and I was like, but it's not actually a real place. 
<laughs> but like I think we're at an interesting point where it's like where where we care about inclusivity, but we don't have enough stories that actually humanize people that we're still like asking these questions and like not quite not quite getting there. But then is it we the makers or like we the directors, right? Like I think for as as artists, we're very aware of our diverse world, right? And we feel that responsibility in portraying our reality. Um, but then when you have an art director who isn't necessarily who is, and let me be fair, like do you have an art director who's also answering to a marketing team, who's also answering to a president of some organization? Um, then that's where things get a little tricky. So you know, it, as a maker, is it your responsibility to fight the good fight or to just sort of do what you tone and get your shit. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it also has to do with like uh, sales, like numbers, you know, like yeah. who they're trying to sell stuff to, you know? So that, I feel like that's something that needs to be, you know, yeah. taken care of. Thinking out there. Well, if, you, if somebody has something they want to say, that'd be great. I do have a, <clears throat> I kind of have a thing from, from Twitter or from the the, okay. the feed. Um, all right, <clears throat> let's see if I can kind of put this into the question. So this this person sort of in in line with this conversation, also pointing out like what happens or how do you feel when an art director, whoever's in charge of your project or whatever, actually, you know, pushes you to make it more diverse when it doesn't necessarily help or have anything to do with the story. It's almost and in this case, saying putting it there to just to grab attention or like. Yeah, the other way, I f maybe I'll leave that out there. <laughs> yeah. I, f I feel like that it's never like a problem, I don't know. Right. Because more diverse yeah, couldn't be a you, problem. You want to be able to, so people, more people can relate to your book or whatever the illustration or whatever it is. Um, this was another point we were talking about last night, but uh, if someone is made diverse, but the story of the character is uh, told through like, a primarily white male lens, or not even like male, but like a generally white lens, then changing the color, the skin color of that character isn't gonna instantly make that uh, that character diverse or a true diverse character um, because they still need the, the context. Uh, characters, well, it's assumed that in storytelling that characters have a life before the story starts. So yeah, I think that's important to take note of. Okay, so here to kind of keep following down uh, on this this track here, uh, in the con well, this is in the context of illustration. But so, in, say you're being hired uh, to, and you're dealing with um, somebody else's content, right? Which clearly, you, and for, as illustrators, we have to serve on some level. And we, you've all been talking about how you know you still you you want to like you bring in your own personality to it, but a lot of times there is like a strong sense of what they want and do you like do you feel pressure ever anybody feel pressure by that um to almost depict what you know to be the reality that they see like the normal that it's coming from quote unquote no one can see me out in twitter land but <laughs> quote unquote normal from you know like do you ever feel pressure to to illustrate to the that lens yeah. uh oh uh I, I just push it and see what happens. Like, <laughs> if no one says like, "Hey, this character has to be this," I just I just go with it anyway, you know. So, um, like I did this op-ed for the uh, like right during the Freddie Gray Baltimore stuff, and the sketch I had had um, it was like a bunch of people holding signs, and the main figure was like a guy holding signs, and like you know a bunch of other people behind him, but all the nondescript people were like guys, and just like the whole time I was following this one and like Ferguson and other stuff, I was like, 
I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, women have been like at the forefront of a lot of these. And so I was just, I was like instant. I was like, let me just change it. And even though it was like slightly different from the sketch, it was like, I actually said like I did, I changed it for this reason. And yeah, and it was totally fine. Did you feel? Can you just ask it? Did you feel like you had to explain yourself during that change? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> did you feel like you had to change yourself? Uh, or describe or explain your change. Explain your change. Did you feel like uh, you to do so? I didn't. I, I just kind of well a little bit because I was just nervous because the first time I worked with the art director. Right. But it was more so like I was totally confident in the fact. That, like I had no like clue that maybe they would be against it. So I just add, I just did it and you know. So so I have a question for a lot of young artists coming up. When you're developing a portfolio, are you do you have a sense of a need to sort of pander to a specific audience with the art directors and things like that? Like, do you make work that you think will get you hired, or are you making the work that means the most to you and reflects all of your genuine interests for all of you? Well, well, as a I guess I'm five months in the game, uh, freelancing full time, and as a young artist, I want to say I feel the pressure is there, mm -hmm. but I always have to be aware that uh, I don't want to work on anything that I'm not in or that that I want to see myself in. Does that make sense? Um, but yeah, I don't know. The pressure is there, but it's constantly reminding myself to work through it, and uh, my portfolio will uh, come. Um, yeah. I think uh, it's kind of, at least in the world of like mainstream comics is kind of like a happy medium you kind of have to find because you gotta like uh you know you show off your own characters and stuff like that but for the most part you know what's gonna grab attention you know it's like you're gonna catch somebody's eye with like a batman or with like an iron man or something like that you know and then you, you use you kind of use that to like you're like hey i also do all this other stuff so you kind of have to find like this uh weird happy medium especially in comics because the crowd is like so wide Right. Well, okay, so and most of you on here at least have a little bit of, of a hand in comics. Um, I don't know, maybe even you didn't. No, okay, so there's like two of us that don't, right? Like <laughs> um, <clears throat> We kind of got this question before, from, uh, before the talk started, and we were going to talk about it anyway. Do you feel, is there any more freedom in the co in, in the comics world because a lot of it is your own self-generated content um, I, I think at least um, to tell these stories without feeling I don't know that the pressures that you know an, an editorial client will give you uh, maybe Alex if you want to maybe I don't know if what that's like when you you write your own stories at least um, so far so I mean how have you handled that do you feel good about that do you feel welcomed or do you feel like your story is still kind of being pressured to be a certain thing well, I think I'm lucky because I have a full-time job, um, so I can I don't have to freelance, and I don't have like an editor telling me how to depict something or someone. Um, so I feel like I have a very interesting perspective than everybody here, because I feel like you're all professional freelancers. Um, but I kind of just make what I want, and a lot of that is like narwhals and <laughs> octopi and stuff. So, but I have I'm. I do notice even in my own work that I, I do stick to a type and I, I wanna be more diverse, but like, again, it's like, I am a light-skinned Latina, so like, what do I know about like an African-American experience and do I just include an African-American character in my comic cuz or I need the context. If not, it's like you said, it's just, there's no context, so it's not really it, you know? So I don't know, that's the things that I think about, especially hearing everybody here and seeing, and reading what's going on, 
so okay well so were you gonna say something here? Uh, well, I, just, I was just gonna say that uh, at least in comics it just it really depends on the publisher okay like if you go and go through like the the wall of comics at your local comic book shop if you see image image comics people are basically doing whatever they want <laughs> and then you got like your regular superhero stuff and that's that that's more like control because it's a license and it's a property that's like had it's been there for years so you know it's uh they're obviously gonna be more uh tight about what they let you do and like what they're gonna do so it, it just depends really on the publisher. Okay. So so speaking to these illustrators out there uh, who may be sitting at home or sitting in the audience or wherever in the world saying, great, I want to contribute to changing the singular story, but I'm not African-American, but I'm not from uh, Puerto Rico. Like how, what do you say to them? Like then you say, how, like let me, like, I mean, I, I know what I would say, but it doesn't matter. So, like, tell me, tell us, speak people. It does matter. Join the panel, John. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, yeah, how, what would you say to them uh, in that case? Anyone? Oh, I'll, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, say someone's doing their research um, for maybe a comic or whatever. Uh, it might help to actually surround yourself with that pe with the people you're depicting depicting not to uh go around them and collect artifacts of course because that's that's yeah <laughs> on some like it's not a social safari but actually be a genuine person that's a that's a good one <laughs> but yeah <laughs> um but yeah, uh, go out there, be a genuine person around uh, people, and you will get experiences, and you might get stories like your own. You don't know. Uh, you might get stories um, that you wouldn't even imagine seeing, but it's just about putting yourself out there and kind of just being vulnerable in the process, and that way genuine results will happen. Yeah, uh, social safari, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Wish I said that. Um, I... I, I do remember I, I saw a quote from someone said something about you know this, and they said um, it was like if it's a character you're trying to depict, and they're just in your story, you can just put them in there. You don't have to explain why they're, they're just there. Just like when you're walking around, you see somebody, they're just there. You're not why are you on the street? Like why are you in the city? You know, but if you're telling the like their story, like if it's like you know like a specific like one black story, one trans, you know, if they intersect, then maybe that's something you should be more. Like definitely, you should be more responsible about. It. You should you should know what you're saying. Cause if you don't know what you're saying, then it's it's almost like I think people try to turn it into like freedom of speech. Like, oh, you're trying to say I can. It's like, well, I mean, you can, but like maybe you shouldn't if you don't know what you're talking about. Like maybe you should like <laughs> maybe figure some stuff out first. Like, right. you know, yeah. Right. I was just about to say, let me put on my, my professor hat. Um, as an illustrator, your job is to go out and observe the world and go out and draw on location and put yourself in situations that are outside of your normal everyday situation so that you can become a better illustrator and a better storyteller. Um, your job is also to read things by other types of people who have other experiences and consume as much of this media as you can so that you can then um, contribute intelligently to the rhetoric that is already being given to us. Um, so. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about how about how uh, other people on the panel feel about sort of mediocre depictions, but like you're trying, like you know, like someone who will do a comic and it's like two female characters in a car and it's like, it's some weird assumption about that they love 
to talk about periods and it's like oh come on <laughs> so it's like i don't know it's like you're like oh you're like at least they're women characters but it's like oh no like at least they're women <laughs> you know it's kind of like i don't know i was talking to a friend recently about uh, sarah connor uh in terminator and we were talking about um dressing um dressing like an adventurous woman and you know like a, a an action hero woman but we were like no you know that's that's a man i mean obviously she is literally a woman, but that whole kind of like tank top thing and her entire character, that's a man. I mean, nice try, but literally no cigar. Um, <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Are, are half-hearted depictions actually helpful? Is it good to, because I, I still have a, like a really hard time understanding, you know, like, uh, if it doesn't make me feel good, I, like it feels like it feels like people are trying to give me something healthy. I feel like it's being sort of crammed down my my throat. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it fosters complacency because if other people see this and they're like, oh, okay, this is cool, this is good, um, I'll go ahead and do this in my work, or I'll go ahead and uh, be okay with that depiction <laughs> if they're uh, if they're an art director uh, hiring a client. Uh, I think it should be more sincere, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't put any more emphasis on research and the actual experience. Okay, oh, yeah. All right, sorry. No, I'm listening, trust me. Um, okay, well, actually, so I'm going to jump a little. It's not really, this is all. It's not, we're not jumping anywhere. But I'm going to direct a question right at you, Shadra, because uh, you wrote in a, a very wonderful, uh, articulate, post on your blog. Yes, that I did go and read. Yeah, so, well, no, I feel like this actually really fits in here where you were pointing out, and I might kind of miss jumble these words here, but... I might too. Okay, that um, white illustrators who include black characters in their stories tend to be more accepted than the way black artists and depict okay, okay stop okay <laughs> that's no, what we're no, here no, for no, folks no, no, no. no it was i i went to um a discussion with a, a pretty big children's book black children's book illustrator and from my observation i find that african-american illustrators who um are doing books about african-american the african-american experience usually um lean towards the side of realism and i feel like we, we self-included, don't take as many chances or aren't as um, experimental with depicting our own selves. And one, like when I think about the more, okay, I'll ask you, when you think about a black children's book character that's super famous, who do you think about? Who? Little Bill. No. <laughs> Everybody else, Sarah, who do you think about? You think of Ezra Jack Keats, Peter in the Snowy Day, right? Ezra Jack Keats is a Jewish, Jewish, Polish, Polish illustrator who came to the United States and he was the first de real depiction of a black urban child in children's literature. And since then, like, yeah, we know Little Bill. Is it, is it weird to talk about Little Bill now though with all the controversy? Yeah, we can't really do that. Um, God, it's so sad. Um, so, but, but yeah, my point is, um, I feel like black illustrators in, in the industry don't take as many chances. I feel like young illustrators are, are getting there. There's um, an amazing uh, children's book person illustrator, Christian Robinson, who is very um, influenced by animation and things like that. So I feel like the younger generation is doing it, but the older guys, self-included, are still sort of hanging on to that traditional depiction, you know? And a lot of those stories that were being told were about 
real instances in slavery and civil rights and the ideas that um, black people uh, need to be depicted as beautifully and as realistically as possible because there aren't enough images of us um, that exist, right? So now we're at this turning point where I feel like we can take more chances and add to um, the visual sort of vocabulary of what those characters are supposed to look like and the stories that they need to inhabit. <sighs> So, so you're speaking. You're speaking Slow clap about, it out, Micah. Slow clap it out. <laughs> so you're speaking about the sort of tradition of being a black illustrator and sort of like what's canonical there, right. and how like how that's dangerous too. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Doesn't that bring up uh, an interesting? Because and Chris mentioned it very early on, and we kind of didn't. But you're talking about what's in the room right now, and you're talking about the history. Um, so it's it's kind of goes without saying like who like, where, what do you look into in history like do you relate to to the artists that we're told we're supposed to you know that we're supposed to um, and to not take anything away from their quality of their work but like we're supposed to appreciate the golden age we're supposed to love um, Leindecker, Rockwell, Wyeth you know all these these people all these men sure. um, but do you feel that do you relate to that what do you what do you find inspiration in history you know well, um, yeah, uh, going through our education, I would uh, learn about these people, and I, I'm like, yeah, I do appreciate this, but also, how do I approach this if I'm if I can't see myself or if I can't identify with this? So, um, very recently, I've been uh, been reading essays about history or the history of. Uh, an African-American design aesthetic that's not covered in our illustration courses or um, in like you would have to take a course outside of illustration to find out about black illustrators and um, people came up like Emory Douglas uh, like even like Aaron Douglas before that and then just finding out how they influenced people who are in the main canon um, it's it's really it's really shocking to see um, and this is all recent, so I don't have everything together yet, but, um, yeah, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of figured out some of the same things, <clears throat> like same time, same time as Chris, and it feels like there's pockets of stuff missing that's, like, clear when you start to recognize them. Like, I know there's, like, you know, old cave art, and then it's, like, there's African mask, and then there's, like, you know, what Picasso learned from Africa, <laughs> and then there's like Harlem Renaissance, and then it's just like it's dead for a while, and then all of a sudden like I'm here. I'm like, well, that's supposed like it just feels like there's so much like missing, and I just feel like I feel like a lot of stuff is just kind of like if it doesn't fit what the standard is, if the standard happens to be like a certain type of thing, then it's kind of like well, it's just not as good, whatever. And people do their stuff on the side, and you have to go back and find that it existed this whole time. Um, yeah. And people, um, like, yeah, looking back at Emory Douglas, who was the Ministry of Culture uh, in the Black Panther Party, he was in charge of uh, making illustrations, basically making uh, making imagery that would be disseminated across the entire, like, party and their reach. And um, he's responsible for so many iconic images that still kind of, that still hold up today. And it, it just baffles me how he's not in the main canon of illustration when he represents everything um, that illustration is supposed to, like a person uh, illustrating their time and experience, um, well, yeah, who's illustrating what's going on in their time, 
and um, drawing from lived-in experience and also involved with the culture in which they're, uh, in which they're depicting. And I think it's kind of a, a tragedy, but yeah. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say I think um, like such a, a great resource for that can be professors in art school who like take care to really to really dig and really find those people so their students can see not just like themselves represented, but just that there's so much more than what's historically accepted as like oh these were the people that were making art because that's just like not the case and. You know, like to, professors can be more inclusive of things like craft and you know, like things that weren't necessarily canonized as higher art. You know. Yeah, and that's why uh, representation needs to go like beyond the, you know, the image. You know, it should also be about the authors and stuff like that because you know it's makes it much easier to like get to. You know, to live that dream, if you can relate to also the people that are creating that stuff, you know, because uh, like for me, like a huge thing was uh, when I first went to my first like comic book convention, I uh, I met uh, Paula Rivera, who's like an amazing artist, and uh, you know, just seeing that like a guy that like had a similar name to mine, and you know, like could talk talk like me and like you know kind of look like me so it was like uh we came from like have similar backgrounds it's like really important because it, it was like hey like if he did it you know and i can do it you know right so while he while you have the microphone actually still ricardo i was just gonna walk before we jump and i want to hear uh well, everything um was it any different being uh in puerto rico like were, were what you learning about illustration was it or were you even like were was it different because you're not inside our the, the the um, United States proper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, art did not exist at all in any of my education back home. Like there were no like art classes, like nothing. Um, the only reason that uh, I got into it was because my grandfather was uh, an illustrator, and uh, so he was he worked for the army as an illustrator, and uh, so he was so the only that's the only reason because he's like I just got it through him. So that, and he was like, oh, you should get out of here and go somewhere where, like... <laughs> is, there, is there any... Did, did you have any stories from your... I'm curious. I mean, I don't know how deep your knowledge is of yeah. what his career and how he dealt with... I'm, I mean, being an illustrator, I, I don't know what year it would have been much... Probably a while ago. Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> and, in the 50s. Is when he, he was in the army in the 50s. Right, okay. And, and being uh, from Puerto Rico in the United States military, yeah. I mean... Did he ever talk open like what his experience might have been? Anything? Uh, it was mostly um, what he talked about was his biggest problem was just like communicating basically because um. his English wasn't great at the time. But uh, all he talks about is it's uh, it's funny because like I love that I could draw because it kept me from going into that, the actual battlefield. They just like kept him like uh, <laughs> in the base just painting signs and stuff. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, gosh, there's so many things. Um, we're kind of talking about school now, so maybe we can kind of go down that route for a little bit. Um, I'm just curious. So, schools are art schools are predominantly white, and uh, you know, I wonder. If, and I've seen some of you speak on on online <laughs> about some of these things, but um, you've spoken openly about you know, kind of how your ambitions sometimes feel marginalized just by being 
black or by being a woman in a room full of guys or not. And then on following that up, if we want to speak, there are a lot of women in art school. But then why does it feel like as soon as it's over, it, it completely, you know, where did that, what happened to that, you know? And, yeah, okay. Oh, um, well, right now in my MFA, it's mostly women in my year and in the department in general, but when I was an undergrad in computer animation, also at SVA, I, there weren't as many women, but now I'm, I see more women coming into the computer animation field, um, and I feel like it's becoming more even, and I also feel like they're being more successful finding work post-graduation, whereas I had trouble, but it could have been a combination of things. I'm not just blaming that, um, but I had trouble finding work, so I ended up like rotating back to illustration and cartooning, which is a gift in disguise, yeah. uh, but I did, I do know a lot of my classmates from my year that did not get work. A lot of them were women and a lot of them were not white, so. But it's rough, it's like, I'm not just saying it's that, but nope. it's like there's different factors too. Like you just have to get a job so you can pay rent. Mm -hmm. And maybe like the animation studios aren't calling you back fast enough, so you, you go into like other art fields or anything else that will get you work. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy for to begin with, but. And uh, yeah, the school where I go to, um, I'm currently finishing up undergrad there, and I'm noticing uh, I'm noticing an influx of uh, students. Uh, of course, mostly, uh, yeah, mostly women. Um, well, a great representation of women. Uh, also, a nicely sized queer community, and that is totally at odds with the mostly white male faculty. So it's it's interesting to watch that that push um, uh, to watch a progressive student body. Uh, really try to, uh, I don't want to say like outrun or, uh, I don't even want to make it an adversarial thing, push but um, yeah, yeah, push back at um, at this old guard. And uh, yeah, I don't know, um, I'll formulate a better plan and come back to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when there are like certain voices that are like the arbiters and have all the power, because like there, there is this divide between all the women that are in art school right now and then the and then the actual ratio in the field and there's like but it's it's cool that that's something that's quantifiably beginning to look up even though there's still like i think a lot of like there's there's a lot of like reductive ways that people look at like art that women make and like don't have as much of a context for seeing it as valuable but like this year like almost all the student scholarship people that won money were, 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 were women. And you know, it's all totally anonymous judging. It's kind of interesting to see. And, um, I remember my point now. So uh, yeah, I noticed <laughs> yeah, a lot of this, uh, this old guard of professors um, in a way discourage uh, the students who are, again, like mostly women um, to not do what they want to do. Um, and that also intersects with race. So, uh, so say uh, um, a student is influenced by a certain lineage that doesn't follow the canon, they'll be discouraged out of it until next thing you know they don't have an interest in illustration anymore because their perception of the industry is this professor telling them what illustration is. There's no place to make the stuff I want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also as makers, um, as people of color and as diverse people, 
it's important that we sort of infiltrate these these old regimes, right? Um, so I teach full time, I'm a professor, and I speak to um, a large female student body about the choices that we have to make in order to sustain our work. Um, it's not easy, you know, and I think for many women, there have been pressures of, you know, some family and nurturing and all that kind of stuff where it really is a selfish lifestyle. Like you have to make room for the art. And in my professional development class, we keep it really real in talking about the types of partners that you choose and the other types of jobs that you need to have to sustain that work. But being very clear about what you want to accomplish with your life and not letting anybody, this is so cliche, not letting anybody tell you otherwise, but that that's it, you know? I mean, I'm fortunate to, I came from a, a very supportive family. My mom's single parent, um, educator, told me I could do anything, so I have a very healthy ego. I'm also very good about talking about how great I am, you know? And a lot of women don't do that or feel shame. I was at KidLitCon yesterday and there were these bloggers and they're like, yo, we don't really like to talk about, you know, look at what I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm looking at what I'm doing all the time because I am wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, so embracing that and knowing that it's it's necessary. And there's a way to do it without it being icky and gross, right? I mean, you you need to be good at what you do to talk about being good at what you do, number one. Um, but you have to, yeah, be selfish and know that, you know, it's okay to be good at what you do and continue to do it. Well, there's a lot of... Well, maybe not students. I don't want to judge the way you look young, but it looks like there's a number of students here. Is anybody if do you want to stand and speak about maybe your experience, or if there's anything, you don't have to. Just letting you know. Okay. What kind of jobs were you talking about that you're you're sustaining or are doing that allows you to work in from your art? Uh, the question was, what types of jobs are you talking about that you have to do to sustain your art? Um, I come from a design background first, and I worked at a publishing house as a designer for six years when I lived here in New York, and now I teach full-time at uh, Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't able to go to college without loans and things like that, so I have responsibilities. So those are choices that I had to make for myself in order to make the art, so things like that. Anyone else? What do you want to do? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've only ever been an illustrator. Um, I think that, I don't know, if like if you're just speaking in terms of like work practice, it helps to not take jobs that are kind of sort of consume a lot of your time, leave you exhausted or leave you hungover. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it helps like, it does help to take a, a design job at times, I think, because it helps you sort of like make connections and also understand your designers. I mean, I wish I, I worked in house with somebody and I could communicate directly with the people so that I could understand their intentions because I understand when my art director speaks, like several editors are speaking through them. And if I were there working with them or even if I had had the opportunity before I became an illustrator to work in a design house, then I would understand hierarchy better. I would understand how to parse the language that I'm not hearing better. So, I mean, like, as an addendum, um, I mean, uh, what else did everybody else do before they did this? Uh, I think it's also um, important that, uh, that uh, yeah. during school that uh, professors and teachers uh, let their students know that just being a freelance artist is not the be all end all. There's so many more options out there. And I think a lot of uh, young people uh, fall into that trap that it's like, if I don't make it as a freelancer, they just 
and it's really hard to be a freelancer. Like I don't freelance full time. I, I work as an apparel designer as well. And uh, so there's also there and I and it's because of my illustration degree that I have that job. And nobody told me that I could do that while I was in school. And there's a bunch of other uh, jobs out there that you can do with like your design degrees and your illustration degrees. And it's you just don't have to jump straight into freelancing because it's uh, it's very doggy world and uh, so I think it's important for kids out of college to know that that there are a lot of options you don't just have to like work at a Starbucks or something like that there's a lot of jobs out there and you know and it's a thing that uh, a lot of I noticed a lot of professors kind of discouraged too that they were like oh don't get that like nine to five design job and it's like we have how are you gonna pay your rent you know it's like <laughs> and, uh, that's also that also opens up a question about like location. Um, I before I came uh, not came here, but like before I started freelancing full time, I was in the army while going to the school. Um, I was in the army for five years before like leaving, and um, I just yeah, it, it goes into uh, choosing a job that will help you uh, or that will give you the time. I joined because it was only one week in a month. It was enough to sustain rent and tuition for a time. And um, it left me with enough energy to make work throughout the month. And um, yeah, it also helped me over while I was also looking for design jobs. Um, unfortunately, the, the market where I'm at isn't great with that, um, as well as other art jobs. So that, that kind of influences, um, I, would, I would say that that influences the local uh, climate of like why people would go into freelancing. So, yeah. that you guys are doing a lot of multiple, it sounds like a lot of uh, multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so you're diversifying. You know, what does graphic arts, right? But um, do you have any, uh, did you guys do mentoring too? Um, or work with, um, with uh, companies? actually get those skills like internships internships mm. before you actually yeah, yeah uh do we do mentoring or internships to come into the the careers we have now um i can say from experience no i just have a a really tight-knit community that i learn from um there are very few at least in our area um back home uh opportunities for internships for freelance illustration um and kind of the same for design um but yeah, no, I haven't taken any internships or anything. Yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't do that either. And before I was illustrating, uh, I'm pretty much doing that full time. Um, I was working at an art store, and that was like that was like pretty cool. But I'm also pretty stubborn with like nine to fives. I'm like, I don't want to be here, man. Like, <laughs> and and you know, and it's like, you know, because of like the culture that we live in, it's like if you don't want to be at your job, you must be lazy. It's like no, I just don't want to be like here working I want to work and do something else so like just my, my personality I, I just wanted to like just freelance just just work on that and I had like I wanted to be an animator jumped illustration and I realized that I kind of developed like different skills I think just related to this issue I think sometimes there's feelings that or just even unconscious uh, like actions to make some people feel supposed to feel more humble like you should be happy that you're even working you know but I was like, well, I can do multiple things. And it wasn't even like a ego. It was just like, I know I can do this. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, I do, you know, I was doing illustration. Then I jumped to, you know, I do some like book cover stuff. 
And I was like, well, let me just jump to, you know, I animate sometimes. I was like, let me do some like stuff for maybe games. And I was like, maybe, and I'm doing, I do like visual development for like commercials and commercial pitches. And so it's, it's almost like now there's a subset of freelance where like sometimes freelance can support the other freelance for me because I, I do some different things, so. <coughs> So, Richie, while you have the mic, yes, mic up. Um, no, just because you're out of school. I mean, most of us are, but you know, Chris is talking from his experience. He's just finishing up. Alex is in school. You and I graduated right around the same time, um, yeah, yeah. roughly. So I just, you know, especially now. Now it's 2015, and that's 2009. I think you said you graduated. You know, looking back, like this is kind of the old grandfather question. What would you tell <laughs> your, you know, looking back, what advice yeah. would you give yourself? And this really, I mean. Knowing Man. how you see the field now and probably how you saw it when you were in school and less of knowledgeable. Yeah, uh, that one, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Two, there's no uh, age limit on it. So you don't have to feel guilty because you're not, you know, you're not in like some show yet. <laughs> you know, like you're not, you haven't made it by 25, so you're not going to make it. Because like I was working different jobs, I did caricatures, the art store. And I haven't really started like working, working honestly till like the past like maybe two years. And you know, I'll be like 30 next year. So it's just like, but I, I didn't feel any type of guilt or pressure because there were some people that that I saw, uh, and that's kind of like connected representation sort of, uh, like people like Yuko or other people who like started a little late. And I was like, oh, okay, well they can do it. I mean, I'm like 26, I'm pretty sure I can still do it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, um, we have a question from uh, online that I think is really great. Uh, and also, if you're listening online and we haven't gotten to your question or we're not trying to ignore anything and we're, we're trying to keep up here, this is all happening really fast, but this is great. So um, this is actually from Nico. Uh, so he's paying, he's tuning in. What's up, Nico? Um, hey. hey, buddy. <laughs> okay, uh, should we stop elevating problematic media from other eras because they're game changers in spite of their racism? For instance, Tintin has a lot of racist depictions and themes, but it still changed the game of European comics, and from a narrative and art point of view, it's an excellent comic. So should we ignore those? Uh, do, should, we, should we stop elevating problematic media from other eras from other eras, um, because they're game changers in spite of the racism. Okay. I don't know the things that I, I think that I'm going to find a lot of the things that I made when I first began working problematic. You know, like a year from now, five years from now. You know, like anything before this second has the potential to be problematic because it's sort of couched in the you know, like what we think is true about our culture and our ideas about ourselves are constantly evolving. So. I think if we can think about Tintin in context and take from it what we like and say, yes, that is extremely racist, I would not do that now, um, then uh, I think it's we can be healthy about it, but we just have to make sure that we're kind of eating it the right way. Do you have anything? Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I totally agree with, with Wesley in this way, because like, but I, I think a large part of the problem lies in that we elevate things at the same time, absolving them of, of of the ability to like absolving like making them invulnerable to criticism like like we hold something up and put it on a pedestal and then people will go like how dare you criticize this how dare you be critical of any aspect of it like you're like oh like i feel this way about this and it's it's totally invalidating to people's experiences like because nobody is really saying that we shouldn't look at the thing anymore you shouldn't care about it you shouldn't teach it but you gotta like 
Just be smart about it. Yeah, be like, well, yeah. I feel this way about sort of like looking at heavy metal. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, yeah, like like metal or want like like heavy metal. Like I, I I like I really like that that art. I like um you know like I like looking at at ranks and I don't know like I, I like all kinds of things like that. But you know like it just I feel horrible like as a woman kind of like looking at it and when people sort of are critical of comics makers for being sort of unwilling to um, sort of uh, kind of unequivocally devote themselves to cheesecake and you know like this is the kind of stuff that makes um, unconsidered um, sort of depictions of the female form the female form uh, today okay then that that bothers me so yeah it's, it's like how how do you consume this in a helpful way well, it's interesting the way you say that because what we're getting um, on a comment or two online here is that they're saying, um, you know, it needs. It's not that it needs to be erased. It, it needs to be addressed. So, and which is which is basically what we're all saying. Um, you know, and not that. But I don't know. We have a panel of eight people, maybe because some brainstorm, some like how should you know what's a proper way to address that? You know, or does anybody have an opinion about that? <laughs> um, I, and cloak it in its history, and then show other examples of where we've come, where we've gone since then. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Just to go off of that, but what about things that are still being published, like uh, Charlie Hebdo, or how about um, Robert Crumb? Like people who are still contemporaries, or people who are still producing work, and the work is still continually glorified mm -hmm. and it just keeps coming like what do you say there so, can you uh, just repeat the, i was gonna repeat oh yeah say. uh just about like uh sorry say it again <laughs> oh, here i got you he was asking probably have those in the oh, right, right. like contemporary artists like it's easy to look back on ten ten. oh yeah sorry um that's actually like uh you know, it's easy to look back at things that are like the artist isn't alive anymore, or like Tintin, and we can respect them for, you know, you know what they are. But when we have like pieces of work like Robert Crumb, or we have pieces like Charlie Hebdo, a tragic situation like that, like when people won't address those situations, like yeah, what yeah. would you say to that? Yeah, I actually got you, but we had to repeat the question, so I was yeah. like, oh, say that again, yeah. so I can repeat it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's. I mean, I kind of, I was on a. a it's a public thread, so I don't care about talking about it. It was on Instagram about this, this very topic. And there's a difference, I think, with uh, having something available to view and being like, oh, yeah, like that's really messed up. This part's messed up. Let's talk about this. Versus like, yeah, it's really messed up. But we're going to like reprint it and recolor it and like sell this joint. But we're going to put maybe like a little blurb in there. But we're still going to sell it, make money off it. But it's so horrible. It's like, well, then. Like again, like what I said earlier, like maybe you shouldn't have done that. Right. Like if we're gonna look at it, then maybe we should like like look at it instead of being like, yeah, that was kind of messed up. But these drawings are really amazing, so like let's just not like it, it's almost like outweighing it. Like if the offensive material, if they like they can't measure it in pages compared to like the non-offensive material, then they literally measure like, oh, it's not that bad. It's only two pages out of like 150 pages. What if those two pages hurt somebody so much more and a culture so much more than those other? you know, 148 or whatever, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, we've gotten, like, visual vocabulary out of the way, like, Chris brought up Mammies earlier, and, like, you know, we have Will Eisner who drew a lot of that stuff, too, but he's still Will Eisner. But, like, at one point, are we comfortable, like, what cap is good enough of, like, what things we repeat, what trends, like, still continue on? 
I think with the with your point about the contemporary stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think that as a community we should, you know, call that stuff out. In my opinion, yeah. so that we teach, you know, each other that like, hey, you know, that's that's wrong. Like we shouldn't be doing that. Like that's not something that's cool. And we don't care how talented you are. Like yeah. what you did was wrong. What you drew was wrong. Like so, it shouldn't matter. Like we should just be as a community, be smart about that that kind of stuff. Well, then, what about the people that argue freedom of speech and censorship, and we should all be able to say what we want and do what we want, and you know, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what they do still, uh, whatever is put out there, still has a consequence, uh, freedom of speech or not. I mean, so yeah, it's like yeah, you're free to speak, but you're also free to receive whatever criticism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it would be helpful to say like, look at Will Eisner's work, uh, put it in the air that hey, this was definitely of his time and is offensive and totally like horrible um, in today's context. And then after that is established, we can start talking about the work and we can start uh, talking about how great it is. Um, yeah. And then, like, another problem that lies in those conversations is how ubiquitous this, like, almost violent level of qualification is. Like, people that are trying to qualify feel like they have to defend their, like, entitlement to something and the institution of it that, like, really puts people's voices down. Like, I don't talk about, like, anything online because I'm, I'm, I don't know if I could deal with somebody, like, like relentlessly getting on my case. You know, it's, it's difficult, and I, and I applaud anybody that, that, that does. Um, so, oh, I, so I guess I mean what we're talking about um, is exactly that. Like, it's our responsibility to put those other images out that show a different reality. Um, so that then we're not only being responsible makers, we're also um, sort of um, uh, making responsible viewers, right, and consumers by giving them more to look at and think about. Like educating the community. E- exactly, and it's a huge responsibility. Like with my students, especially African American students, we're always they're always like, why is it my responsibility? to teach in front of class every time I do a piece about race and I'm like it's it's, it's your responsibility you know and you there's nothing you can do about that you can say no you can ignore it but if you're making this work you have to be able to to talk talk about it you know and defend it in some cases um, and educate with it so I think as makers we have to be aware that that is all of our responsibilities yeah. right uh, well I was this is um taps on uh, kind of the heart of illustration too and in other ways uh, illustration is heavily relies on symbols symbolism um, yeah I mean we'll just leave it at that so however through um, you know unfortunately mostly the symbols and has been built on the white male perspective and so a lot of that some of these things can be very troubling and problematic like female equals woman in dress right you know that so I just if you guys we can keep going kind of down this road on um, you know offering perspective on the use of symbols good bad or other in illustration as a whole and maybe in your own work specifically like how you you know I've like some of y'all have heard talk you know don't like lazy is oh it's about slavery show chains or oh it's about um, Violence against the black community show a noose. Like, so you know, getting beyond that singular story, I guess, right? Here's what we're so. Editorial, like you guys work in symbols a bit more than the storytellers. Right, yeah. 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 Uh, that's like, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, I I I know after the, you know, like Chris and Owens brought up the uh like Charlie Hebdo response, and 
I saw like, you know, I guess legendary cartoonists or even cartoons I never heard of that were really talented and like some of those depictions were just like really horrible. <laughs> but I guess they found like the excuse like, well, I'm really mad about this, so now and it's like well that's really revealing that you get so passionate and then this comes out, you know, that like you don't even think you're like, I'm just gonna be mean and I'm just gonna throw out like these, you know, horrible, you know, kind of images. Um I lost my train of thought after that, but <laughs> specifically, yeah, it's just like I don't know. I feel like there's there there needs to be some type of um yeah, okay, yeah, symbols. That's what I was thinking of. Uh <laughs> I was like, what oh, what I was the question? Of yeah, what's this? Yeah, this is live and this is uncut. Um uh, <laughs> Yeah, like I, I think of I think of like the fact that I have to, you know, think of ideas, think of symbols and uh concepts. I always have to keep in mind, you know, they talk about, you know, things that are in the public conscience of like symbols and connections. So there's certain things that maybe like me or Chris will joke about and we and like maybe some other friends we know like that's a that's a funny thing, that's a that's an illustration that like that, that could be funny. But if I connect with other people, they won't get it because they've never heard that reference. So it's like there's certain things that I know I'm like, oh that's really smart, but they're not smart to other people because they don't recognize it. So when someone mentioned something earlier about like you know, we're talking about Amory Douglas, you said like his work is iconic. And I was thinking like, yeah, like iconic to who? You know, like iconic to Black Panthers, people of that era, I never even heard about until like the past couple years. So, and probably most people, most people probably don't know who he is, so. Well, so doesn't, doesn't that bring up, like the point of like, you, you have to, like you're walking this, this line where you don't wanna just use generic symbols that in some cases end up being harmful, but you're also, like you're saying, they might not get the references. Well, you need to find a way to use generic symbols in a new way. You need to find a way to work within the vernacular to change the vernacular. And um, I think that's that's the hardest thing, is dealing with the visual language and trying to reach people and reach as many people as possible and yet recontextualize things. like. I don't know. I, I, I don't always want to draw a woman in a dress. I want to, I want to be able to sort of uh, uh, change the way that people sort of uh, see me through my images. But sometimes, you know, like you'll be asked, how do we know that this is a woman? Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's not being lazy. Because yeah, also, uh, also there's the, the aspect that you got to take into account of like, you know, illustration in a magazine, you know, somebody's going to look at it for like three seconds maybe sometimes, you know, like people are just flipping through. So art directors, a lot of times, you know, they just want like the fastest, you know, so that people can connect to it as fast as possible. So that's, you know, another wrench in the whole thing. Yeah. How important is it to be able to like, produce the, um, the content um, in, a, in a certain time frame in, in your business, I feel? So the question, <laughs> yeah, the, okay, oh. wait, we got to get the question online here. So the question was, how important is it to be able to produce this kind of stuff in a timely fashion as an illustrator? Which I'm going to kind of jump on that and also say then, what are the pressures, I mean, it's almost like, what was us? But like, what are the pressures when you are under a timeline? You do have to work on a deadline, but you want to make sure you use a meaningful depiction of X, Y, or Z. And yeah, you know, it kind of snowballs, I guess. So, y'all. Uh, I'll say something <laughs> first. Uh, yeah, as everyone else says, very important to be to work on time and get stuff done. But um, I don't know. I, I I think about it a lot, and I almost feel like. I'd rather spend more time making sure my idea was right 
maybe I didn't have enough time on the piece, then maybe rush into an idea and the piece looks better. Does that make sense? Like, because I, I would personally feel, I would, I would feel bad about it. And if I feel bad about it, it's like, I don't even want to, it doesn't matter if it was like, you know, getting praise here or there, it's just, it, I, I wouldn't feel good about it, so. I think it's, it's helpful also to, um, when you think about being an illustrator, you don't think about it just as a job, right? It's a lifestyle. So a part of that lifestyle is making sure that you're continuously digesting different types of images and visual vocabularies. Um, another part of that lifestyle is making sure that you're keeping, for some people, keeping sketchbooks and making ideas that you would like to see show up in the work that you maybe have just not, not had the opportunity to, to do yet. Um, so that when you are under the gun and you need to think of something and you don't want to do something that's cliche or repetitive, you have um, sort of a dictionary that you've been building for a long time and you're able to pull from that. Um, going back to what uh, Richie said, um, so at that point, uh, say like you're in like a tough deadline and you can't come up with the right thing, um, do you at that point go to the art director and go like, well, I, I'm not going to be able to have this in time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do you lose that job because you don't, you, would you rather lose that job because it's not going to go to print because it's like, this is the final deadline. You got to get it in, you know? Yeah. Um, well, there, there was a, a recent job where I felt conflicted with the subject matter uh, to the point where I was going to turn it down just because I didn't want it out there with my name on it and to be connected to that. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I was like, well, at this point, I was like, yeah, man, I'm just starting. If something happened where like this derailed me, I'm like, well, I'll go do comics or something. <laughs> or I'll go, I'll go get that nine to five and go do that. Yeah. I just want I just rather push than, than regret it. And so I was like, this makes me feel conflicted. This and like, for, you know, various reasons. And um, yeah, he was just like, he's like, okay, yeah, I understand, you know? And I was like, is there a way I can like, find find something else to like focus on within it and so it was a way where I was I was able to even though I still went with the article I kind of focus on uh, more of like the emotions behind yeah. the, the people depicted than more so like hey don't do this you know yeah. this group of people and I don't know it was, it was weird like I even posted I was like I don't agree with this article but here's this piece <laughs> I don't even know that was like too far about it I just did it I didn't care but yeah it's like I think about like I'll just say it like I did it once and I was like, okay, I feel like if I had a problem, I could at least say it and hopefully they would respect it. Yeah. Does anybody else have, oh yeah, hi. please, hi. I'd like to address that gentleman's question if I may. Yeah. Um, I've been in illustration for over 30 years. Uh, it had its ups and downs. Sure. The best thing I could say to you would be to master a technique that before you start to solicit illustration jobs, know whatever it is you're asked to produce, you can do it as quickly as you can because your experiences may be different, but mine was you had to turn it around very quickly, sometimes within a day. So if you are mastering oil painting techniques, that's not something you're gonna be able to do in a day. If you're pursuing children's book covers, they'll give you time. But if you're going for magazine illustrations, say, you may need to turn it around overnight or two days. And a lot of the 
emotional things you're bringing up now will be evident in your pencil sketches that your art director is going to need to approve first. So if you're going to change races of characters, if you're going to change costumes, that'll be evident in your pencil sketch. But don't even attempt to try to get work until you have mastered at least one technique that you're confident in, that shows in your online portfolio that you're good enough, and that you're going to be clear. Because the art director is going to want to know what he's going to get from you. And he might want to get that by Thursday. And if you blow it, you're never going to get work from that guy again. Thank you. Thank you for a contribution. Um, OK, now I'm thrown off. Uh, where, yeah, Jensen. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I, I was really interested to hear Richie your your story about uh, like working with a job that you felt conflicted about. Um, like I, I my first book cover offer was a book that I was really uncomfortable with, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. I was like, this is like my dream job to do this kind of work. I really don't want this to be the one that I do. I don't know what to do. So I asked a bunch of friends, and then I I, I emailed. Yuko, who was one of my professors that I value so much, and she said, like, every illustrator will have their things that they will make themselves okay with, and then the things that they just won't. And there's no, like, there's no objective, like, answer to whether you should or shouldn't do the job, but don't take any job or do anything where you won't be able to sleep at night thinking about it. <laughs> and so I didn't do it, but I just thought, that was really important to hear from somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say if anybody else had stories about where their, their morals were challenged or, or whatnot, um, please share. I, recently, this, the Church of Scientology reached out to me. <laughs> Dream <You're welcome>. big. <laughs> I, sh I said no. I said no. Um, OK, well, so uh, we've been talking about art directors off and on throughout this. I mean. Because our careers are inexplicably, I'm not saying that, inexplicably linked, there we go, to art directors and as we'll call them, the gatekeepers. Um, we have an amazing question that was submitted before the talk started from an art director. Uh, so I'm going to kind of read a little bit of build up and then present this, okay? So um, speaking, I'm quoting here, I've come to think there's a real responsibility on gatekeepers to be actively seek out underrepresented voices. It's not enough to say that we are open to diversity. We need to work at it. Uh, but it's really hard finding people that are appropriate for a job in terms of style or skill and, and seeking out marginalized voices. Um, it often becomes a slim Venn diagram. So uh, to all of us, to you, and to you all, um, you know, what, what do you wish those gatekeepers did more of? Yes. Hire other gatekeepers that don't look like them. <laughs> I think um, when I worked as a designer, I was the only person. Of, well, no, I was not the only person of color there. But was I in in the creative on the creative side? I was, and there was a project that came where it was a collaboration with many different um, black artists for this one book. And my art director came up to me. She's like, you know, this is a really tricky question, but can you recommend other black women illustrators for picture books as we just don't have any you know that we that we know of readily and i you know gave them like six names and everyone got into that book so i think that 
you know, when we were talking about taking other jobs outside of illustration, that's also equally important so that we can help inform the greater picture, right? And we can also help other people get work who um, are not um, the default, I guess. <laughs> it's a terrible way of expressing that. But yeah, it's important. And even with, with teaching, you know, that's also another um, responsibility of me is just to, to kind of be there and be a different vision with different ideas and you know inspire people in, in different ways so um, if you're chasing that dream of freelance illustration don't think that you're a failure because you're doing something else look at it as a as a, an opportunity to push things forward in a, a positive um, way anybody else want to Okay. Uh, all right. Well, so uh, no, that's great. I mean, um, okay. So uh, we've what we're doing here. We're speaking up about issues that are real and affect us every day and um, marginalized voices. Um, so, Richie, I'm gonna actually direct this to you because it was written on your blog. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I read that. <laughs> oh, one well, too. well. Yeah. Well, no, and I think, and I'm. So anyway, um, I saw. I've seen. Uh, how do I want to phrase this? One second. Okay, um, I've seen people comment to you how uh, the, most of their employers, I, I'm assuming this person was a freelancer, uh, most of their employers probably don't even realize that he or she was black and that in some ways they almost, they said they, they felt shameful about it but they almost didn't want to change that because they were afraid of what that would do to a career or how they would be viewed or what, I, yeah. So, and you had a, a very thoughtful response to that person, but also I'm sure could speak on all these. So, you know, if when speaking to somebody who may say something like that, who feels, um, yeah, what would, you know, can you speak to that point? Uh, yeah, I mean, specifically like the idea of, of uh, maybe a like accidentally passing as, as, as non-black specifically, well, or just, I yeah, yeah. Yeah, all in the above, you know, and also okay. I'd say, um, you go ahead, please. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I, like, I mean, I don't. I mean, <laughs> but you, you can. I don't know. I know there's probably definitely that that pressure, um, because you you want to be yourself. But then if people treat you differently, you know, it, it's almost like you get a taste of that. You know, like, well, that does that does feel kind of nice to not have people put stuff on me. Um, like I had there's a, a, a Facebook friend of mine who. Uh, he kind of sent me a private message and was like, "Hey, thank you for you know speaking about some of these things," and uh, he's like, "Yeah, like I'm I'm half black, but like most people don't know because he passes really easily as white." And he's like, "Yeah, you know I'm you know I grew up with like you know black brothers and sisters, you know," and he's like, "But when I'm around some like you know non-black friends, it's like they they almost assume like I don't care just because I don't look black, and it's just like subtle stuff like that, like just like I don't recognize you as this, so you must not care about this." Whereas, like, maybe if I'm a you know a group of people, or in a group or something, and maybe someone will like be talking maybe to like black people, and maybe they might forget that someone is black it's because they don't pass as black, or you know, they don't see them as black. Um, but yeah, in terms of it's hard, man. <laughs> like, in terms of in terms of advice, it's like it's almost you have to like you have to like navigate it in a way in a way that makes you feel feel good about yourself. I think because a lot of that has to do with like how other people view you and um, yeah I think mostly like kind of just focus on like how you feel about it <laughs> and try to make yourself feel feel like try to make yourself feel more comfortable because a lot of the time the pressure comes down like like it's from top down so you're wondering what how you communicate you know um, 
<coughs> going back to your original point, I think also a big problem with uh, our industry is that it has the easiest built-in excuse to not hire diversity, which is like, well, they weren't talented enough. We just wanted to hire the most talented person. Turns out the most talented person was a white guy or something like that, or like, you know. So, which is true, like, you always want to hire the most talented person in the room. But, you know, I think there's, you know, we can have, you know, a little bit of leeway there, you know. So, I think that's a problem that is uh, in the community. Yeah, people assume I'm not a woman all the time. It's great. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> I have a bit of that ambiguity, too, because um, I try to write my full name when I draw, but a lot of people just call me Alex, and it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, I prefer to be called Alex, but in my work, I want it to be Alexandra, so it's weird, and they're like, oh. But I also wanted to say, did it leave my mind? Damn. Uh, oh, oh, I guess um, I was gonna ask, do you feel uh, in terms of, do you feel like um, people who hire illustrators to do work tend to just, like they find people that they like working with, so they just keep hiring those people versus trying out new people? Is that part of it well, as well? Well, I mean, well? it's a good, it's not like it's that's a bad decision. I mean, right. like you, ha you can sort of expect a certain product from someone. And, you know, like there are times in my life when, you know, like I was a way more unpredictable illustrator than I am at present. And, you know, like it makes sense to sort of build relationships. And I enjoy the relationships that I've built at the same time you know, like other people don't get a turn and, you know, other yeah. people don't get discovered. And, you know, maybe those older relationships um, are, do have gender and racial bias. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I, don't, I can't speak to anything specifically from my experience, but what did you want to say? Um, when I when I first started in the business and wasn't getting work, um, all of my friends got published before me, and it, they were very dark times in my life, and I hated everyone, and they hated me. Um, but there were I've worked really hard, and I would have meetings with people, and they're like, "Oh, we we really love your work, and when the appropriate project comes along, we'll give you a call." And I didn't know what that meant, right? And and there was a time where I questioned. I'm like, you know, my work is is pretty good, but so is it because I'm black, you know? And you, I put it in a box and put that box on the shelf and kept working. And when I did get my first book contract, I decided then that my book was going to eat everyone else's books that was published <laughs> that year, and it did. So, you know, it's you keep knocking on doors. I've also had the weird thing of like, you know, most most of the people who win awards in this industry are, are males, you know? Um, so maybe I should write Rashad on the front of my book <laughs> instead of Shadra to just as a social experiment right. to see. I still haven't abandoned that. So if you all see some books with Rashad Strickland, it's me. <laughs> you know, so there, there are lots of things that we think to be true and we know that they're partially very true you know but what do you do with that do you stop and give up or do you keep knocking on the doors until you knock it down yeah like that it does bum me out how many uh illustrator friends i know who will consider like using their initials instead of their full name because it will be better for them but like it's so hard because like what level of personal responsibility do people have because it's like it's for some people, it's like you want to pick your battles and it's hard to like fight everything every day. But then it's also your responsibility to make things better, both for yourself and change the cultural climate for everybody that comes after you. 
Yeah, I had um, one of my professors at Syracuse was John Thompson, who makes amazing work, and he did a lot of work about the African-American experience. And he told me the story that once he was invited to do a school visit with these kids, and when he got there, they were disappointed. Like, the administration was disappointed because there was this white dude. And I said, well, what'd you do? He's like, I gave my presentation, and I went home for the day. Um, so I think, you know, we all have to just be open to the things that we need to express and be responsible. Yes, I, I thought it was a funny story. I wanted to share. And, and just keep in mind that the work is, is I mean, the work, the work literally, like when I draw stuff, it is me. But, you know, like there is a difference between, you know, the work and, and the complete identity of the person. You're paying for the work. Come on, guys. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to frame questions here around that. So do you, I've heard, I've seen conversations on about this and I'm not, I don't know the best way to speak on it or ask it, but like, do you, is it almost feel like there, do style, is there like a female, can you see female man, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, you know, like, can you tell? Your work is so feminine. Can you tell? Your work is so masculine. Can you speak to that? So, well, it's weird because I like to talk about this with my students, but I have to be very careful about how I talk about this with my students. Not anymore. Embarrass yourself in front of everyone. Um, well, when I, when I worked on my first book, I, I thought, I, God, this is so weird. I, um, thought to myself, how would a man approach this? You know, like Chandra turned, and I, I like to think that I'm about 60% male and 40% female anyway, just in how I approach things and my relationships. Um, but but yeah, that was that was a conscious thing for me. And I don't know what that means. I, I used a lot of blue in the book, does that count? Like, I don't know, it was, but it was a story about a, a young boy, you know? And so in thinking about this character, I had to think about this boy and what he but would be what like is internally. what process like of, you know, like, okay, I'm thinking like a man now, so right. how would a man draw this? And this is a young, this is, this is a male character's right. perspective, so how do I cause little boys to eat this, to right. consume this and think, you know, this is true to me. Well, one thing, the main character was an artist. He was an eight-year-old boy and he was an artist. So the, the biggest decision was, he would probably draw with a ballpoint pen, right? But so would any That's other kid. That's what boys draw. That's what boys use, right? Oh my God, this is terrible. Apparently I was right, because the book, no, the book won all the awards. So I did everything right, yeah. Well, no, but it's it's weird, you know? And um, I, I don't, what do you all think? Like, do you think there's a, a male, predominantly male voice and predominantly female voice? It's just, it's weird. What is it like inside your head? What is it to be you? <laughs> Oh, well, well. <laughs> Tables have turned, no. Is there a female voice ever when you're doing an illustration? Uh, yeah, how do you draw like a girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I have seen people, yeah, like what you mentioned earlier, people throwing like, like so-and-so's drawings are like emotional. I was like, like are, are male drawings not emotional? Like, it's so weird, like, are, are, are women, like, it's weird to put like it's so emotional, but it's not like is it not intellectual? Like it's just I draw it's like I have a hysterical uterus. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's that's kind of weird. Men, do men make more technical work versus more okay emotional? I'm glad you asked that. Intuitive work. They're like I don't know. I feel like my portfolio there's not a lot of like technical things in it, mm -hmm. and I have like a lot of soft edges. I don't really use like like really really dark like oh, values or anything sensitive. and yeah, I'm a very sensitive male illustrator you are pretty so, sensitive um but there was there's like I got a job and they asked me to draw something about like some submarines and 
I was like, okay, cool. So I had all these like surreal sketches of like submarines that were like half Evangelion mech things, <laughs> and some were like surreal, <laughs> like wobbly legs, and like you know, just 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 doing all that stuff. And then, and then it was like, yeah, yeah, we're looking at something more like like technical, you know. I was like, but I don't, there's not there's not in there. And so I had to strip away like all the all the fantasy, and it became just like, yeah, you know, just do this technical thing. And I was like, why would you think I want to draw? A technical submarine, you know. So, yeah, I. Uh, it's like I they don't even know. look at your portfolio. No, I guess they're like, "Hey, man, you draw, man. Take that ballpoint pen and draw. <laughs> <laughs> draw, yeah, draw, draw a technical robot or I don't know. So I guess the thing is, we have gendered ideas about our style, and uh, you know, yes. like that could that could stand to change. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyone wants to touch it anymore. <laughs> okay. Chris, okay. You no, no one? Okay. Um, okay, well, uh, Chris, I want to ask you. I mean, this is, again, obviously always for everybody, but um, uh, okay, uh, with. There's a lot happening in the world at all times, always, but particularly now, um, in our country, there's a lot, like. Racism and police brutality has come to the forefront again, thankfully, and it, there's there's a big spotlight on it because I think because of the internet and everything, and the voices are rising. But in the context of illustrator, in the in dealing with that, those stories, we you speak about being kind of like a journalist as an illustrator, which that idea in its in itself almost seems outdated, and not that it is outdated, but it does, you don't see it as much. Yeah. So just curious, your thoughts on that and the responsibility of the illustrator to you should be recording, or do you feel like we should be, we have a responsibility to record and report what we're seeing, these things, and as artists, and so on and so um, forth? Well, hmm. I think it kind of exists on a sliding scale, like uh, the illustrator, part of an illustrator, excuse me, part of maybe an ideal illustrator, maybe that's a bold statement, um, part of an ideal illustrator's responsibility would be to be consistently aware of what's going on in the time. Um, they don't necessarily have to go out in front of the subject and look at the crimes happening or like be at protests um, per se. But uh, that does like if someone does do that, um, if someone does choose to do that, then that makes uh, for really striking imagery. Um, could you repeat the question? <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, for example, I've seen you guys on a medium, like where you'll you'll right. re you're reporting. You're essentially you're telling a story about the story that's happening. Um, and just I'm just you know, do you feel like it's as a, as a person with an opinion and an ability? Do you, is it your responsibility to be doing that? Do you feel there's not enough of that? You okay. know, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I definitely do feel the responsibility because. Uh, as an illustrator, I'm in a unique position to go where cameras aren't allowed. Um, for example, I did some courtroom sketches a year, I believe it was about a year and some change ago, and uh, court, yeah, cameras weren't allowed in the courtroom, so it was in a way up to me to depict the scene as objectively as possible, but at the same time I would also have sketches that were a little more subjective, just it would manifest itself differently, um, really subtly, like in framing. Um, say I would position uh, the ex-governor um, in question in a way that uh, in a way that minimizes him versus the people uh, prosecuting him. Or um, yeah, I'll be put in positions where I would have to find um, where the deeper story is. 
Um, so, for example, I went up to, yeah, I was commissioned by Medium to go up to Baltimore and follow the protest. And um, a lot of what wasn't being covered on the news was uh, what protesters were saying, um, even in conversations amongst themselves. So I took the opportunity to go and talk to protesters and um, talk about, and pretty much got them to talk about what it was like to live in the area before the uprising, um, what it's like right now, and how uh, deeper issues are coming from this um, this like singular issue, and how all these things are indeed connected. And um, I feel like, as an illustrator, uh, we're pretty special to have access to those um, to that to that lane, um, where we also have the ability to get to be trusted by people amongst us because we're drawing them and that is kind of an intimate uh yeah an intimate uh i guess it's an intimate activity um especially in conversation and um that gets people to tell you uh things that they probably wouldn't tell a journalist right so yeah so uh, following on this for all of you guys y'all up here that uh write your own stories whether it's children's books or graphic novels or even short comics or whatever, you're, you're, you're producing your own content. Um, in some ways, do you feel like that's sort of the, not the same exact, but is that kind of similar in the sense you're, you're getting a story out there? Like why are you, you know, for sometimes when I make art, it's, it's almost like therapy. Like I need to put this thought down into a piece of paper and now I feel better about whatever that thing is. Do, does any, do you approach your personal stories that way? Is it more just, fun and fantasy or you know is yeah like what does that mean to you to, to publish your own content um yeah I definitely feel so Chris I feel uh, responsibility because I come from certain areas where you know people aren't in control of their image they're in control of how but people talk about them they watch themselves on the news people lie about them so uh, it's just like a, an epiphany a couple years ago I was just like I have to I just have to do this um, and I think I think you mentioned something earlier about like comics versus, or someone said something about comics versus like illustration and like uh, how much of it is, how much you put into it, like how much of your voice or how much of your own story. And I feel like personally, I feel a lot more, a uh, uh, lot less pressure in what I want to say with comics because I'm like, okay, this comic, I kind of want to make for, like I want to have these jokes in it, these references and like people that get this are going to get that, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's a, I don't know. I, I feel like I have to. I just have to do it. Like it's just, it's just like a, a drive. That's not something I learned in school. <laughs> it was just like it just hit me again as an adult. Like what was important to me and like the things changed from when I was a student because I was thinking like a, a student and I was like I want these like things I can measure up and like those are cool, <laughs> but I also want things that kind of like you know go in a circle that connect to you know things that that affected me just growing up. I would say um, I have a, I try to compartmentalize everything, but ultimately things spill over. Um, not to say that I would be writing a fantasy story and uh, basically journalism comes in randomly, but I do start to think about, well, what kind of lives are these characters living? Um, what kind of context uh, within these characters' lives and in their own stories that I haven't yet mined, um, how do they affect each other? And it's kind of like I have to be a journalist within a fictional world and kind of pull that out. Yeah, for I guess for me, part of it is um, is ego, and the other part of it is um, 
response to what I'm not seeing. You know, like the stories that I'm not seeing in on the bookshelves are the ones that I want to tell. You know. Um, but I would say it's probably mostly ego. <laughs> That's okay. There's, uh, there's nothing, well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's sort of about what you want to make right, real. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like what Richie was saying, too. Um, uh, you kind of can't help but make the stuff that you want to make, you know, like the content that you're writing and making all on your own or, you know, like um, with, a, with a partner, it's like, a, you know, like it's 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 just sort of what you want to exist mm -hmm. and it, it cannot help but sort of change things around you um, I, but I think that's a kind of a secondary result and it all depends on the kind of work that you want to make um, something I'm really excited about in in indie comics right now is that there's a place for like the very internal story and I want to see like so many kinds of people tell their super personal stories and those are the kind of short comics that I make they're like hyper personal because that's what I related to the most. I think consuming media growing up was like uh, narratives that really talked about what was going on inside someone's head and how their experiences affected them. Um, and there's like a place for that in comics now, which is pretty cool. Uh, well, this is this is great. Really interesting to hear everybody's opinion on all that. It kind of goes. There was a question, but I feel like this is almost kind of the answering it in a way where you know someone had asked, you know, how can illustrators influence public opinion with their work, and I. It sounds like if you're not given the opportunities in your jobs, you go out and make your own. And that's what you're all saying. And like Richie said, I can't not. Like I have to, you got, you got woken up and now you can't not do it, which is, uh, that's great. I mean, that should serve as an inspiration for anybody. Um, so, okay. I, that, yeah, we got, we're getting, it's, we've almost been doing this for two hours. You got, um, I mean, to say, is there anything we haven't talked about is really pointless because there's plenty of things, but is there any, anybody burning questions? Yes, please. Do you want to speak into the microphone? Hi. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, and I guess we talked about you know, the difficulty it is navigate talking with art directors about including different types of people. I guess this is more for like editorial work. That's what my question is going towards. Like, what would you, what would ideally, would you want the art director to do? Would you want them in the brief to say, I want to have even a topic like, let's say just something generic about human experience, like luck or happiness or whatever. Would you want the art director to say, I want you to include people of like, all different types and like or would you want them to be really specific like I want a like a middle-aged Filipino woman or something or would that feel like tokenism like would that be awkward if they did that would you want them not to say anything and just give you permission what would you ideally want them to do I feel like just my knee-jerk reaction is that it wouldn't uh, it would kind of rub me the wrong way being that specific I personally I like filling in those gaps and I like uh, having the choice um, to to depict whomever, um, given the context is right. But uh, initially, I don't think that would be necessary. I don't know. But you want you want them to trust you, right? Yeah. yeah you want freedom. Yeah. You want freedom. And then maybe potentially. Uh, well, I mean, like the best thing, the best thing for many art directors is as much freedom as is possible. And I mean, sometimes I just wish I had the opportunity to talk to an editor, because like I know that you know like things get said and then they get sort of like cleaned up and they get sent to me. And um, 
you know, uh, so the art director's responsibility is a lot of the time to sort of like defend the weird things that I want to do um, to editors. And I mean, sometimes, like sometimes I know I know I would do horribly, um, but sometimes like I wish I sort of was kind of like socially in touch with somebody who didn't have my job or didn't do anything relating to my job and could help them to make them understand. Because I mean, tons of great ideas get killed because you know they they simply don't play but maybe they don't the fact that they don't play to an editor to a sort of like a person who's not an illustrator you know says something and it means they shouldn't be published i don't know but i wish i could have that conversation yeah you just oh sorry yeah you just want to be able to have a good back and forth with your editors and your actors you just you know you just want to be able to talk to them freely and openly you know about what it is that you're going to work on because if they just tell you what it is, you know, it's just like, ugh. Yeah, and um, I, guess I should use the mic. Um, I guess to add to that, like, what if, like, an art director really wanted to include more stories, but they, like, I mean, they, what if they, like, I don't know, it's hard. Like, let's say if you were an art director and you wanted your clients to put in, like, not your illustrators to put in more <laughs> stories, but, like, the default is just kind of, like, white guys or something. Like, how do you encourage illustrators to do that if... Like you think that if like you want to change the default, is, uh, there, is I would, there a way to do that without being like, hey, do this or I don't know. If I was an art director, uh, I would honestly, I would just trust the creators that I picked. You know, to I would if I hired like any of these people up here, I would trust them. They would do that. I wouldn't have to tell them to do that. So I I would trust the people that I picked to work with. But I think too, like when I work with students. At, at that age, a lot of them are coming from very closed communities, right? So there isn't a lot of diversity. Um, so I think if I were working with someone who may be a young illustrator who isn't used, who hasn't, you know, traveled out and seen different types of people and that sort of thing, I might say things like, you know, this story takes place in um, New York City. So think about the different types of people that you'll see there. I don't know. I mean, it may be too like children's booky to kind of <laughs> nurture and lead in that way. But I think there are ways to remind people of the the larger world as an art director to kind of get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, like I recently did a, a cover for a comic and you know, they, the writer was, he just put it, just threw out, he's like, just make sure that to include everybody in there, yeah. you know, that's, and that's it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I just on, no, just one last thing. I, this is not for me, but what I, I was, um, there's an amazing interview with a number of uh, art well, illustrators, but one happened to be also be an art director. And um, Shannon May had, and ha online had said that you know some art directors uh, and illustrators actually tend to focus just on style without thinking through the connotations and the social context of what they're choosing. And she says in her approach, which you know is wonderful, and we wish everybody did it, um, is that. Look in the look at the work. Don't just hire on style, or hopefully they're like seeing into it. Like, what is the personality of this? What is, um, yeah, like w make sure it's properly assigned to the person that can handle the sensibilities of the content. But you know, I know these things happen fast and whatever. But and those are excuses. So anyway, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah. Oh. No, well, please. I mean, if you want to. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks. Cool. Um, so we talked a lot about, um, I guess, sort of gatekeepers and arbiters of maybe like, I guess you could say institutional authority, like art directors, professors, like faculty, um, often white and male. Um, I'm curious what the shades of like compromise, like 
maybe life for like you guys as working professionals like how do you negotiate like when do you negotiate um if someone's not open negotiation like what what have i, I don't know like does that make sense like what are some of these yeah um yeah like i shared that story, story earlier that was probably the first time where i got a job that was that was to that point like, it was immediate i was like this is i can't like I had to reread it, make sure I read it the right way. I was like, "Does this really say that?" Um, and so, so far it's been like easy, but just because of that. But I don't know. It's I don't know. Sometimes I can be kind of headstrong. So, some, I think in my mind, I'm like, in my you know, uh, spirit, I'm like, "Yo, I'd, I'd I'd eat that, like you know, 300 budget, just because I don't want to do that." Yeah. But then I'm like, "But would I?" You know, and because because it's like you might say something and you and you mean it and you stand for it. And then it hits you like the next day, which is literally what happened. I was like, well, now I'm in it. You know, now it's real. So, and it wasn't even like, oh man, I gotta save face because I tweeted that. <laughs> it was more so like I felt that. Now I have to like act on it, you know. So, so far it's been easy, but, you know, I might have to, I don't know, I might approach something where it's a little bit harder. Right. Yeah. Did you want to ask a question? Yeah. It's from, uh, it's from kind of what we were talking about just a second ago. Um, so I was, I was interested in what you guys think about how these sorts of issues intersect with craft. Like, um, a while back I was, I turned in art and then I saw like the final thing that ran and, um, a bunch of colors got changed. Uh, just, uh, yeah, it was a bummer in the first place, but specifically there was like a actual person who exists who I colored accurately. Like it's a real, it was an actor. Um, and their skin was like way light, like very, very, very light. Um, and I was wondering what you guys think of stuff like that. Like, I'm sure they, they did that in the name of, they were, they would defend it by saying they did that in the name of craft. Like they changed all the colors. My colors weren't good, apparently. Um, but, uh, like, what do you think about that sort of defense? Like, oh, well, like the contrast wasn't working, so we just like took the skin color to place it's not accurate or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know the relationship between like <laughs> yeah, the like you know I guess art director and an editor, but I would just like I don't know. I, I it's almost like I, I have no idea like when when is too much to to step until I do it. So I'd just be like like did no one tell me like why like if it was just printing, you know it's yeah like you said it's kind of convenient, but if it's like all these multiple things it's it's weird. It's a little weird. Like, what was was the person? Were they colored like in like a realistic skin tone, or? It. I mean, it, no. It was. Yeah, it was like they were a lighter skinned person now. It was, yeah. It was specific. Like it wasn't like it just printed different. Right. It was like let's make this person a little lighter. Yeah. Yeah. There's. It's actually a a comic that I'm pretty sure a lot of people read online from a uh, Ron Wimberly. Yeah. Called a uh, lighten up. Mm. And it's 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 it, it's definitely about that, <laughs> like that whole experience of just. Like finding out, like or asking, like, oh, can you make this lighter? Like actually asking, and then sometimes, like you said, just just making it lighter. Um, yeah, how I feel about it is that it sucks. It's garbage. <laughs> and, craft stuff. Yeah. How you like if someone's saying someone's like making an argument against. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, sorry. Someone's making an argument against like I don't know, like like yeah, like diversity or something, but doing it in the guise of like a craft. Oh. Do you stand up against it? I guess right or like is do you have you ever pushed back like somebody in the name of craft has marginalized you or your work 
are you pushing back? Would, yeah, like how do you find the courage to say something or uh, and so forth? It, I haven't really gotten that yet, but I, I feel like I, I just push back anyway. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm, as as me, but it's, yeah, it's hard. I don't know. Who else wants to speak? It's it's a, it's a hard one. Yeah, that's it's just like I don't know. There ought to be you ought to be able to protect yeah. yourself against stuff like that in contracts. People have to ask you when they make changes right. like that, and you can get back to them and say, I don't want this run with my name. Right. Um, and a lot of times people will try to like that's one of the things that you can do if you have like a work for hire contract. You can do whatever you want to the piece after you get it, and that's not okay. Um, so don't end up in a contract like that. And you know, like if you feel very strongly about it, like just just be angry, and you know, like be public about, like put it, yeah, put it online, like say on Twitter, this happened to me, I didn't do this. This Yeah, this is where it happened to me. This is who it happened to me with, and then it won't happen to you again. It won't happen to anybody else. We'll all retweet it. You all retweet it. I think there is something to be said for though that that speaking up, and you know, it's not no one's saying you have to go out there and put anybody on blast and be all rude but hey you're well within your rights to do that because they were rude to you you know Gangster. but like oh, it well, tell it let us know let everybody know i think i think there is more of an illustration community than people think about and like tell everybody and, and people will hopefully be there to help with that you know mm -hmm. but, and i think so we can oh sorry. oh sorry question yeah. in the back yeah a question yeah what's up yeah can you come out you mind coming up a little bit thanks no no I want those shoes and yeah. that dress. Can I just be you today? Be me today. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have a question about um, being vocal on social media, because I think we do mm, spend a lot of time online, even some of them are more private, like Facebook. But do you ever feel, um, do you ever feel like it impacts your work, either in a positive or negative way? Mm. And my other question is about like the kind of stigma with uh, feminists, um, it's like, oh, the women who are feminists are like, like no one would date them. Do you ever feel that way with race that you come off as self-serving in an industry that you work in? Do you ever think about that? So like making too much noise versus too little noise, and how do you kind of, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah. yeah. So like just speaking on, uh, and I'm not sure if I got the question right, but um, like just feeling self-serving for speaking up about race. Uh, is that what you're asking? Uh, to, like just do whatever thing that you're talking about is because you're not Oh yeah, I actually, I I think about that. Okay, she said, uh, do people think that say I or people in general would talk about it because they don't get work. Um, I think about that often. There's a slight guilt, but then I'm just like, yo, if someone's thinking about that, like if someone reads my generally heartfelt tweets about this subject that's actually bothering me in real life, then they're minimizing my experience and also like, screw them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like I don't worry so much about losing work when I talk about uh, race because who else is you know um, even the reason why this panel exists is because no one has been talking about it and we're making sure that's happening now so yeah and social media I I tend to be pretty quiet about race um, I feel like my work uh, shows people of color in certain contexts and so I, I don't tweet about um, 
I don't tweet about my blackness, you know, I'm, I kind of Will Smith it where I'm like, just focus, <laughs> just focus on the work. <laughs> Just focus on the work. Like, I want to make the best work that I can because personally, I feel like, you know, in the same way when I wasn't getting work and the whole like, well, it's because I'm black. That will make me crazy. It will make me crazy. And, you know, with teaching, I have to engage with it all the time and being like one of the only female women of color on the campus and you know having to talk to other women of color about I swear to you I don't want to engage in it every time I get on social media you know when I'm on social media it's look at how great I am look at how awesome that hand is drawn um and and that's where I kind of want to keep it but sometimes you know you got to step from behind a piano and let them know what you're working with if somebody really comes comes at you the wrong way or there's something that really needs to be said I'll say it but I don't I don't want that to be my platform I don't want to be looked at as the diversity candidate when it comes to any way that I, that I live my life you know and sometimes it just to- happens by default shout out to those february hires right exactly and february <laughs> book signings and school visits and all that kind of stuff it's your month it is and, uh, and, you know and i'll capitalize on it because that's yeah, you want to pay me in paper, yeah. let's go ahead and go to the bank yeah. um but it's it's tricky you know and it is you know you have to kind of um figure out your own personal responsibility. I'd rather do things like I'm, I'm starting a bookmaking competition in Baltimore City for the students of Baltimore City. Um, I'd rather fight that way as opposed to shouting at people who may not be listening. You know, I'd rather show positive depictions of Black people in my work instead of trying to tell people why they should, you know, want this to exist in the world to begin with. So, you know, I, I'm of the school of don't talk about it, be about it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely went through a like various phases it was like some like pokemon evolutions of <laughs> of, <laughs> of like richie talking about stuff it was like man that's i just heard about this this is really messed up and i was like i think i get it all right now i'm mad i'm like yeah i'll argue with that person yeah and i'm like man that make me feel any better and i was like well maybe oh, i don't want to talk about that much anymore and now i've kind of reached a point where it's as like chandra said it's like i want to make i want to make the work and just talk to those people anyway and there's times where i'm like okay this is on my mind i'm gonna say it and I think there was, I think uh, a comics uh, writer named David Brothers said, he said something along the lines on Twitter of like, you know, like really think about the things you're gonna say before you say them. Like, even if you're, it's an emo, like it's a really intense feeling, you know, like think about how you're gonna word them because people are already, because their bias is already waiting to take anything you say out of context or just be like, like what do you, you know, what do you mean by that? And just sitting there waiting. It is just waiting. Like, like attack like, oh. you. And, yeah. and I'm glad someone said like, the idea of like, you ever been accused of, you know, doing it for, because you're not getting work. That literally happened. <laughs> like, I had a status about, you know, diversity, diversity in fantasy art. And then I kind of ended it. And it's one of those things where people think you're like, oh, you're talking about me. You know, but you're not talking about yourself. And I ended with like, and I want to hold myself to the same standard too. Like, because I intersect with other things that I also need to be aware of. And, you know, it's a little discussion. And then, someone started like just like talking about me like in third person like you know richie doesn't listen to you you know he's just gonna think you know you're this and that and i was like okay i'm right one i'm right here you know <laughs> and then privately it was just this back and forth of like yeah you know i don't know i'm kind of questioning like why like why are you talking about this you know it's like like pretty much accusing me like are you do you really care about it or is it just like i don't know it feels like maybe you're doing this for like some type of promotion like why would i why would I pretend to care? Yeah, I had to, I had to hold, I had to hold back a little. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just like, 
It's just that people just don't believe, like, because they don't experience it. Mm -hmm. They don't believe it. So they believe that you're, it's fake to you too. It's like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? It must also be fake. Yeah. Um, I, it looks like there's a question. And just, I just want to point out that this, it was for, it's a great question. We're, all, we're basically getting the same thing from online. And I just want to read it just so it's out there. But uh, Nico did ask the same thing where he said, uh, you know, when you spent your whole life being put down for an aspect of your person, being black, <clears throat> being a woman, being queer, and what have you, and you've had to repress speaking out about it for so long, how do you just get over it and build up that courage to speak out about, you know, in your work or just in public in general? Um, you know, was there a tipping point stuff? So this is clearly a niche things people were curious about. You know, so okay. Uh, did you? Yep. Yeah. All right. Maybe it's one closer that way. Um, I just wanted to say, like, so obviously we're all here because we're interested in this subject and it's on our minds. We're thinking about it. We're we want to like express it. Um, but how do we get these progressive thoughts to the people who actually need it in a way? Like we're in this bubble right here. Um, I'm coming from San Francisco. I'm in an even tighter bubble. Uh. So, but I know that like we're all thinking about this, but we need to get it out to people that aren't thinking about this, and that uh, it it would affect sort of more than this crew here. The room. Right. Right. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Question answer it, oh. Esker. Um, uh. I don't know. Uh, oh. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and try that. Oh. <laughs> I'll go ahead and go for that. <laughs> uh, actually, to be honest, like you know, like I kind of talked Chris about it. I think the presumption is probably like overwhelmingly. You probably think of illustrations like a progressive community, but even in my experiences, just dealing with certain uh, issues, uh, there can be there can be like intersections that also cause you know uh, ignorance in that as well. So if I had people who are like allies for something get mad because they're criticized because they're not they still have problems and they're like well I'm just not maybe I'm just not, not, not gonna support you anyway and it's like okay well yeah. so even within a bubble I still think I, I see less of it as a bubble more of like a web where like different things intersect and it's contextual you know so like if me and Chris and like a bunch of other black dudes are talking about being black like we're, we're in a certain you know bubble but then if like a black woman enters then it might be things where like oh like you know, or like yeah. a black person who's queer or trans, you know, it's certain things that like maybe we didn't think about. And so there's certain, I think it's, I don't know, it's hard to think about like how do we get to people who don't almost like are conditioned not to hear you. Like that's really hard. And I definitely talk to people like that and it's, it's difficult. There's some people that hit me up later, like privately, like, hey man, like, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it then because now, you know, and that's, that's always cool. But, um, also don't think also think we need to remember that even within our own circles like there's still it's not like perfect like oh yeah we're preaching the choir because like right. the choir are individual people <laughs> and they all have different you know different experiences too yeah like uh for example like uh in comics there's like a huge push now for like representation and stuff like that and, and there's like people throwing out all these other numbers saying they're like well that's they're just like a vocal minority or whatever you know so like honestly the the best way to do it from my in comics just like show them that with like the dollar, like just be like, I want to buy comics or art made by these kind of people, you know, because everybody wants money. So it's if you show them thing. that like you're willing to buy comics made by or illustration, whatever art by minorities or like uh, underrepresented groups, you know, that's how you get that word out there. That that reminds me of when um. I had this conversation so many times when the Mad Max movie came out, and I was like, I hope this movie makes so much money, because I feel like that's the only way that we can get across 
to the gatekeepers of an even larger form of media, like what people are looking for, and that we're so like desperate to like grasp at stories that we can relate to that we will throw money at it, you know, if it's there. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't know, when I was talking to you, Jonathan, about like developing this talk, I can't even say how much I've learned from just reading people's stuff online really passively, like on Twitter and on Facebook. And I just hope that people keep talking because it's might seem insular, but stuff spreads. It's the internet. It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah, a lot of that's, that's a good point. A lot of it's passive. We're like, there's, you know, it's, it's, I think I, I don't know, I, I tweet a lot or a good <laughs> amount. And there was a, a, I think I remember saying something like, I interact with more black women online than I do like in my physical life and how like sad that was just from like my neighborhood, you know? And um and to like see those things, I'm like it was one of those things where like I'm pretty sure some people never know that I learned something from them. But I'm like, okay, you know, I take it and I try not to like repeat it as if I made it up. So that I'm not like taking someone's like point of view, like, oh yeah, I made this point, you know, like yeah. I figured this out. But I like I take it, you know, and I don't think people I think that's also really important. It's it's almost like that's like a new way of, uh, or I guess a way of learning online that's really easy compared to like let me go to people that don't agree with me and like might get a little confrontational versus like I said this and some people might be like oh that's that's stupid and some some people might be like okay that's wow like now you put it that way like I totally get it sometimes it just snaps over it's like kind of like building up and then in like it's a tipping point of like oh like it's starting to connect now so right. <coughs> Um, I, I think you know. Unfortunately, there's no overnight solution. There's no, there's no way to make that change, or and and to even say, well, that change is because, like, I think even the changes are a web of changes, and so it, I think it kind of it's like what you both were saying, Jensen and Richie, right there at the very end is kind of a nice sort of way to end this in a way. And I don't want to cut it off. But we're we're hitting over two hours, so everyone's very interested. Um, but yeah, and. and um, you just have to keep being vocal, I suppose, is what we're getting at. Um, okay, if if anything, is anybody else feels they want to, I mean, this could go on, and we could have, maybe we'll have round two, you know? <laughs> um, but maybe for now, we can we can end it here. Uh, everybody, there, I would tell everybody, say your Twitter handle so everybody can follow you, and you can, um, but maybe there'll be, a, we'll put up a list of everybody, so you just, I know sometimes it's hard to remember, oh, wait, what was that guy's last name, how do you spell it? So we'll make sure everybody knows where to find all these, uh, the panelists, so if you want to continue the dialogue with them, or in private, or ask something, or anything, I'm sure everybody would be very open to that. Um, so, yeah, and absolutely, thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming.